Well, I do count this as a great privilege. Um, I've had many years of knowing your pastor and loving your pastor the same way many of you do. Uh, I hope all of you do. <laughs> um, and this is a special, this is a special time for me. Uh, Christ Chapel has had the opportunity to have a special place in my heart as it does for many of you guys. Um, many years back, uh, right after he married us, we had some interesting moments in ministry and um, ended up in Christ Chapel like you are, sitting in the chair, listening. And I was amazed at the number of times that I sat there and felt, why are you talking to me? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. Why are you preaching to me? I'm okay. And time after time, the Holy Spirit would just use your pastor to season my heart for what he wanted to do and what he wanted to stir in me. And I get this privilege now to stand up here and hopefully speak a word that encourages your heart this morning. Amen. Uh, I'm going to read from Revelations chapter 2 this morning. It's okay, I know. We're in Thanksgiving Christmas season. <laughs> Give you time to, a little bit of time to find it. It's in the back. I know we don't go there much. Um, I, I don't go there much either. I found it uh, interesting that the Lord sent me to Revelations 2, um, praying about this. Lord, are you, are you sure? Are you sure? I, we're coming up to Christmas. Can we get to the Christmas stuff, right? <laughs> um, but I really do feel that the Lord has given me a sweet word for you guys this morning um, and something just to really to lay on your hearts, to lay on this church, to lay on the future of this church, the future of your families. Um, so let's read together. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write these words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did in first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaeans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, may we just not hope that the God who came in power to the 11 defeated men on the day of Pentecost and by their means turn this world upside down will come in power in this dark generation and do again his mighty works. May our hope be infused with the grace and the strength to rest in your doing. May we find ourselves with the God who longs to walk among his people so that your power may move among people. God, I pray you would use my humble words today. God, that you would articulate your words through this vessel, that our ears would be open, that they would hear you speak today. God, that these just wouldn't be words, but they would be power 
alive inside of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember as a young man growing up um, from a little small town called Leesburg, you may not know that place. Um, I'm a Georgia boy by heart, still live in Georgia. It's been my home. I love Georgia. And growing up, um, the, I wasn't blessed to grow up in a, in a healthy church. I, I didn't have that privilege. Um, uh, but I think that was part of God's great love for my life. He, he let me see it done a wrong way. So hopefully I will never repeat that. But I remember growing up as a young man, and there was always this kind of, I don't know, something I kind of felt like maybe God had something special for me that I didn't understand and know. And I remember as a young man in high school, my freshman year in high school, uh, it wasn't too long into the year. I just, I was like, man, God, I, I just, I was kind of like believing for something. And so I said, here's what I'm going to do. I, I'd read through the Bible and read the story of uh, Joshua and said, okay, I'm going to walk around my school for a week and just pray that you would let the walls fall. And I remember walking and I walked past Smoker's Row. I don't know if you're old enough to know that. Some of you are like, What? We used to have this little corner in the high school where the smokers could go and smoke cigarettes. So the old younger kids are like, wow, how old are you? <laughs> it was a long time ago, you, you married us. <laughs> but I remember walking around that school and just, just like with this weird faith, like, okay, God, you're going to do something. You're going to do something. And I fasted every day during my lunch hour. Now, if you know me, that's a big deal because lunch was my favorite time of school. And I, I would fast and I'd walk around the school and I'd walk and I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd spend my whole lunch hour walking and praying and at the end of the week, nothing. I was like, oh God, what? I, God, I did it. I, I, I did it. I did something for you. Did I not have the right faith? Did, did, did I not pray hard enough? Did I not do this? And I remember that being a transformative part for me because at that point I just kind of said I don't know maybe he just doesn't do it for me so last time I prayed for my high school the last time I cared about my students my peers so the rest of my high school years, I spent doing sports and doing my own thing and kind of running after my own thing. Got through church. I remember turning 18 and I'm like, man, I can't wait. I'm 18. I can move out of my house. I can do my own thing. I don't have to go to church with my parents anymore. I don't know if you're in here this today. I would encourage you, please halt. Stay at home as long as you can. 26 is the new norm right now, I think. So... <laughs> pretty good, right? <laughs> At 18, I'm ready to get out. My dad, dad gave me a car at 16. He said, okay, have fun. <laughs> I went off to college. I came back. My parents had not only changed the lock, but changed the whole front door. I was like, can I get a key? They're like, nope, <laughs> you're gone, right? <laughs> but I kept thinking, man, I just can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And so I had all these huge plans for my life and these dreams and I knew what I was going to accomplish and go run and do. And all of a sudden, all these things that I had built up start collapsing on one another. Lost my athletic scholarship. Ended up not getting into the schools that I had tried to get into 
And I remember starting off at junior college. Like, how does a guy who gets straight A's go to a junior college? <laughs> and atop that, I got stuck in remedial classes. I'm going, I do not understand this. So I had a youth pastor who pursued me, come after me, and he said, he said, wait, why don't you come to me to Southeastern College Bible Days? I was like, man, that is not for me. He's like, no, why don't you come on? What are you doing with your life? Ow, man, it hurts. Right? So I, I kept putting it off, and he kept, come on, wait, why don't you go? I said, no, I can't do it because I, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. He goes, okay. He comes back and he says, Somebody in the church paid for you to go. You want to come? I said, oh, man, they're not going to let me get off work. I'm not going to be able to get off work. He goes, okay, well, have you asked? No. I go to my, my boss. I said, there's this little thing coming up. It's not a big deal. Mike can go to it. He goes, go. I'm like, man. <laughs> All right. So I end up off of this, this Bible college days and all my friends are off trying to get scholarships, and I'm, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. It's just, this is not where I want to be. I don't want to be at Bible college. So I goofed off all day long. That night they had a service, and I remember being the last one to go into the building. I walk in. I look for a spot along the wall. They are filled up. I look for a spot on the back row. It's filled up. I gradually go up to the next row, to the next row. There's one seat left in the whole house. I'm starting to go. This is weird. I go sit on the front row. And I remember we sing the first song. And God captures me in a new way. Melts my heart. We sing this song, Spirit of the Living God. It's amazing how you remember these things, isn't it? Spirit of the Living God, you bring new life to me. And I remember saying, there going, okay, God, if you do, then do it. If this song is true, then do it. And that there, the Lord just moves over me and breaks me. And I fall on my knees and repent before the Lord. And I wake up knowing he's got a call in my life. See, I'd walked around my high school hoping God would do something amazing. I was like, God, man, this would be so cool if you just spent revival to my school. But yet I wouldn't talk to the one person I walked by every day. Man, God, it would be so cool if you would just show up and just explode this place with a revival. But I wouldn't share the gospel with the person sitting next to me in class. Oh, God, that you would do something powerful. But I wouldn't let my hope, my faith, join with him in his work and step out into what he was wanting to do. And so because I only had hope, I left Unfulfilled. Because this is a life of more than just hope, isn't it? I mean, hope's a great thing. We need to have hope. 
Because hope is what initiates the fire in us. It kind of gets it going. But that hope has to sit with something else, doesn't it? And so I find myself in the book of Revelations here on the second chapter. And I, maybe I've gotten more out of this than you will today. And hopefully that's great. But hopefully you do get something good out of this. And uh, we have all afternoon, right? Because there's Christmas decorating. So, man, we got time, right? Y'all didn't laugh at that. Uh-oh. <laughs> but the letter being written through John the Apostle, this is, he's, he's caught up into the heavens. He is seeing a vision of Christ. He's standing there and Christ is speaking to him saying, write this letter. And to the church at Ephesus, write this. I know your works. I know your toils. I know these great things that you've been doing. So my question to you this church will be this morning. Does he know your works? If he were to write a letter to you, could he say, I know your works? Because a Christian life doesn't happen without works. Faith without works is dead. But not just that, there's, there's works that get in to being a Christian. So you, sir, this morning I would ask, do you have works? Because you'll see in this scripture, there's a theme. It's repentance, it's renewal, it's refreshment. And a lot of times we think, when we think of the word repentance, it's a, we, we carry it as a hard word. We think it's harsh. But then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, well, let me wash your feet. And Peter says, oh, no, no, God, not my feet. Uh, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. I'm Okay. I'm doing good. I walk with Jesus. Come on, I walk with Jesus. He says, let me wash your feet. He says, no, no, I'm good. He says, well, if I can't wash your feet, then you can't have nothing to do with me. Peter, like me, says, okay, God, then wash me whole. I'll just give me a bath, right? But I ask you this morning, do you have works? Are your works alive? Are they good? Would Jesus look and say, I've seen your works? The Christian life will produce works. But we run into a problem with our works, don't we? Because no matter how good our works are, they're evil. Because we're corrupted. Because of the fall, because sin has worked so deep into the roots of our hearts and the roots of our lives, because we've been born into such iniquity, the best works, no how, how good they are, are corrupted. Why? Because something in us longs for the acceptance and the appreciation of others. Someone go, good job, good job. And we know this to be true because when someone goes, good job, we go, yeah, that, that's right, it was a good job, wasn't it? I know, I'm pretty good. I got the privilege this past weekend of, of uh, for my family, cook, smoking a couple turkeys and a, and, a, and a ham. And I remember walking in the house going, man, this is not good for my pride. <laughs> because this is going to be good. And then everybody's, oh, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm a victim of my own flaws, don't I? I stand up here and preach and I say, our works are good. We should have our works, but our works are evil, aren't they not? Because our works are not enough. They will not sustain us. 
they will not satisfy us. As a Christian, our life will be marked with works, but our works are not enough. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts verse chapter 17. Paul gives us something nice and encouraging here. Acts 17, verse 24 and 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and everything. You see, there's a problem in our works because in our works, we often, in our tendency and our brokenness, begin to think that somehow God becomes our benefactor. Like, man, I'm doing something for God. God needs me, right? I mean, man, I am doing this for the Lord. And Paul's lays a warning to us that we would not see God as our benefactor. God is not some employer who's looking for employees to come work for him so he can get a job done. The Lord does not need us. This is the God who spoke creation into being. The one whose words, whose very words shape and form atoms into being. The very words who make the oceans bend and move, that makes the stars twinkle, that causes the earth to rotate. The same one who stores up snow in heaven. The one who feeds the, land, the, the deer. He does not need us. Now, Monday morning when you go back to work, your boss will need you. You know why? Because if he didn't need you, he would do the job himself and not pay you. He'd keep the money. But he needs you. Therefore, you're his benefactor. There's a benefit that he gets out of you being there. But the Lord needs no workers. The gospel is not a help wanted ad. It's not a, hey, come and fill a job. I've got a job for you. Come fulfill it. Come, come do the job that I've called you to. I need you to do a job. No, this isn't a help wanted ad. This is a help available ad. Where Christ says, I've done the work. Come enter my rest. The work has been done. Come, come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, for those who are weary and heavy laden, to those who have been burned down by religion, to those whose life has beat you and worked you hard, to every one of you, come and find my rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, he says. Isaiah 64, God says, it says that God acts for those who wait. Did you catch that? God acts for those who wait. God works for those who wait. Have you learned how to wait on the Lord? Have you learned what it is to enter his rest? Have we learned what it is to yoke up with Christ? You see, God is not looking for employees. God is looking for people, he's looking for conduits. People who will let him work mightily in and through them. God doesn't need workers. 
He has a work for you, yes, but he doesn't need workers. He needs conduits. He wants to do a mighty work in and through you. In the Old Testament, we saw miracles. We saw Red Seas parting. We saw manna come down from heaven. We saw water shoot out of rocks. We see this, the, the walls of cities crumble. In the New Testament, we see men who are filled with power as they preach that things happen. We see men who give their lives in ways that God uses mightily. We have a tendency to look for God in the big explosions, don't we? We look for God in the big miracles. We want to see the walls, the huge walls fall. And sometimes we, in the midst of looking for those, we overlook and we miss him in the mundane, in the simple things. We want God to do great miracles, but yet we don't stop and talk to the, the guy at the corner. We want to walk around our schools believing God would do something, yet never want to join in in the mundane task with the Lord to see it done, to be conduits for him. And so John's writing here in Revelations. Jump back to it. I see your works. I know your works. In verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you that if you abandon the love you have at first. Get my notes in order here. But I have this against you, he says. That kind of comes after a hard word after, man, I see your works, I see your great works. But I have this against you, he says, that you've left your first love, the love that you had at first. In verse 5, he says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yes, this I have, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of eternal life, which is in the paradise of God. This morning I've I've called my sermon, I've titled it, that what God requires, he provides. See, the beauty in this letter is not the call to repentance. The beauty in this letter is that What God calls of us, he gives to us. This is a story we see throughout all of scriptures. We see it in the beginning. When Adam sinned and he fallen, what does the Lord do? The Lord shows up, he kills an animal, takes the skin of that animal and covers Adam in the skin of that. He provides the atonement for Adam's sin. He doesn't kill Adam right then and there which would have been just, which would have been right, which would have been okay. God could have come in and at that moment taken Adam's life. Instead, he takes the life of the animal. We see the same thing throughout scriptures. What God requires, he provides. We see it in the covenant he makes with Abraham. That Abraham falls asleep. He sees the, the, 
the sacrifice laid on the altar, split in two. And what happens? The fire of God moves in between the pieces. Saying, if you break this covenant, I will pay the price. To him again, when he tells him to go kill the son, right? To go offer the sacrifice. He walks up the hill. He gets up early in the morning. He walks up the hill. He lays his, he binds his son's hands and he lays them on the altar. And yet God provides a ram, which is what he told his son. Now I have to believe I don't think that was so much for Abraham's faith as it was for Isaac's faith. Because Isaac needed to see the faith that his father had. But yet Isaac carries his own, his own wood up the hill. What God requires he provides. Ezekiel 32, 6 says that I will take away their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. The thing God calls us to, he provides those. We see it ultimately fulfilled on the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What should have been ours, what is rightfully ours, Christ takes upon his own self to the cross, bearing his own wood, his own sacrifice. Climbs upon the cross, gives his own life for you and for me. Because what he requires, he provides. What he asks for us, he provides. That's why he could say, enter my rest Yes, I've called you to work. I've called you to work alongside me. I have great works for you to do. But he says, enter my rest because you can't get your work done without getting into the rest of Christ, without yoking up with him. There's a great task that God still has for this church, amen? And the beauty of this message I hope you would hear this morning is not how big the task is, but how big our Lord is. Amen? What God requires, God provides. The works in front of this church, the works that he's called this body to, he not only makes the path straight, but he provides what needs to be done. Remember from where you've fallen, It was interesting as I began to study through this, you kind of read through the the first part and it's kind of almost self-evident in everything. But as I I read through this and I was studying, I kept coming back to this next verse where it would say, remember from where you had fallen and get back to your first works. And I kept going, man, God, help me understand what you're meaning here by first works. Does that mean that like when I got saved, I was on fire and I prayed a lot and I read my Bible a lot. Is that what I mean by first works? And as I kept reading, I kept reading, I end up at the end of this section and it says, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, to the one who conquers. And I find it interesting that the one who walks among the lampstands reminds us that the one who conquers the tree of life Do we remember where the tree of life was at? It's in the garden. And as I began to study and look, 
I see this picture begin to develop that, and I see it through scripture where God continually looks to bring his people back to the garden. Some scholars believe that the first tabernacle and the first temple were built to represent the garden. They were designed to remind Israel of the garden. They were designed to replicate the garden. You know, the beautiful thing about the garden is it says the Lord came down and he walked among the people there. So why would God want to bring us back to the garden? Is it so that he could walk among his people? Maybe so, I hope. Are we people who long for the Lord, the presence of the Lord? Are we people who want God to walk among us? That we want God to move among us? Remember from where you've fallen. If we remember where our fall took place, it was in the garden. If we remember, it was in the garden that God would come down in the cool of the day and walk among his people. He would walk with them and talk with them. He would spend time with them. But if we go back to the garden in Genesis, what we see is that um, there's a command that's given to Abraham. I mean, to Adam, not Abraham. There's a command that's given to Adam. And in this command, God tells Adam to, to go in, take dominion, and to expand the garden. We see in Genesis 2, I'll go ahead and read this to you. Let's take us back there. Genesis chapter 2. Start at the end and go back to the beginning, right? In verse 5, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had God had not caused the rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. When the Lord formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. For the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed out of the ground. And the Lord God made springs. Um, it's like I lost where I was at. Uh, in verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but not of, of the knowledge of the good and evil, for in the day you do you will die. And the man was given the command. To work and to keep. For the earth was not yet full of life. We like to think of when God created the earth. That on the earth is this jungle, this lush jungle everywhere. But yet, as we read in here in 2.5, it says that God planted a garden now, what's the benefit of planting a garden if it looks like everything else around? But I believe this garden was very unique and very different. 
And God, God builds this garden and he puts man in the, in the center and he gives man a mandate. And he says, I want you to work and to keep this garden. It's to serve and to guard it. That was his command. In Genesis 1.28, he's told to be fruitful, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion. See, Adam was commanded to extend the borders of the garden. Because in God's word, he says, his glory will fill the whole earth. The garden was where God's glory was. The garden was where God's presence was. That he would come and be amongst his people. And so the command that he was given to Adam was to take this garden and expand it to the globe. To make it a global thing. To have children. To those children were to work the garden. To grow the presence of the Lord. And as Jesus is looking to this church in Ephesians... What I look and see is he doesn't have a problem with their works. Their works isn't what he's, he's asking them to repent of. What he's asking them to repent of is they've been doing these works without the presence. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. Are we people who long for the presence of the Lord? This morning when you woke... Did you long for the presence of the Lord or did you just get up and get dressed and come here like because you knew this is where you would be this morning? As we walk into this Christmas season, are we people who just want to experience another fun Christmas or are we people who want to be reminded that he's Emmanuel, God with us? us. He's not a God who's often distant and far away. He's God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be amongst his people. And it's easy as Christians, it's easy as a church to become a church that just operates. But this is about being more than just a church that operates. A church that just goes through the motion. A church that just has church. We have to be a church of his presence. Amen? Amen. He wants us to be a church of his presence. He wants to come and move among his people. For me, it became really evident and clear. I don't know if, if, if you see this, but as I kept reading through this and studying this, I couldn't help but see a parallel between this and Matthew 28. After Jesus goes to the cross, what happens? He comes and he walks among his people. His 11 are gathered in a room. They're scared. They're wondering. They're disillusioned. They they don't know if they've won or lost. They don't know what they're supposed to make of this Messiah who's dead now. And we see a God who comes and he walks among his people. And then he gives them commission. And what is a commission? To expand the territories. To start right here, to go to here, and to go globally. The Lord is looking to bring us back to his garden. 
that we may find ourselves as people of his presence, who energized by his power, by his spirit, fulfilled to do his work, not as employees, but conduits of his power, of his glory, and of his grace. I believe that is a word for this church. And I would ask you, would you have him wash your feet again? Because as we walk through this world, the world gets on us. And I imagine probably for all of us, as we just walked through this last nasty political season, a lot of that got on us. As we flip through the TV, the dirt gets on us. As we watch our football games, we get passionate. Or at least in my house we do. And I have to wonder, oh God, why do I get so stirred up over a goofy football game? Are we people who are willing to say, Lord, wash my feet? Oh, Lord, wash my feet. Renew me. Renew me in your presence. Renew me in your presence. Because to him who conquers is the tree of life. Oh, God, that we would be refreshed by the tree of life. Adam was commanded to extend the borders of the garden to take the presence of the Lord to fulfill the whole earth. Now we know that Adam did a poor job of guarding the garden. And the garden was never expanded. In fact, the angels were set outside to guard it. Just like the angels were set to guard the mercy seat of God. But the whole letter starts out And I don't know if you caught this. It says, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands walks among the seven golden lampstands. Do you know what the seven golden lampstands were? The seven churches. This is the God who walks among his churches. Walks among his people. Sir or ma'am, this morning, I would ask you, are you a person, are you a church that longs for God to walk among his people? In the upper room, when Jesus came back to his men, he loves on them, he he refreshes them, he renews them. And then as he's called up, he gives them a commission to go. The commission's to go. But he says, before you go, hang on. Before you go, there's something else. He says, I'm going away. But there is another that's coming. And he says, go and wait. Go and tarry. Why? So that we may be people of his presence. Church, are we people of his presence? Is it just a song we sing on a Sunday morning? Or is it our Monday morning? 
For those who want to do much for God must be much with God. This past week, with your time in prayer, with your time in worship, were you a person of the presence of God? Because here's the thing, what God requires, he provides. I do believe this is a church to transform the city. Because it has been multiplied over the city multiple times. But God is not done. God is not done. Amen? I hope you hear that as a word to this church this morning. I hope it's a word that quickens you in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, in your worship, and in your prayer. That God's not done. But he calls them and he tells them to go to the upper room and he says, I want you to tarry there. Why? Because there's a comforter coming. And what's the purpose of the comforter? That he would abide with us. That as we go, we have the comforter in us and with us. That he's in us and he's with us. That he lives inside this temple now. This is where the, the presence of the Lord dwells. And when the presence of the Lord that dwells here goes there, the presence of the Lord goes there. Remember from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at, your, at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. I have to wonder, you know, I recently got to go on a, a missions trip to um, Albania, which is uh, right next door to Macedonia. And so it's right down in this region where Paul walked and he carried the gospel and the church started. I remember asking people like, what's the state of the church now in this region? And it's disappointing because it's very desolate. In the regions where the church first took fire and first built among the Gentiles. The churches diminished there. Because I think what happens is we expand our, our, our garden a little bit and we get happy in our garden, don't we, Pastor? We get happy in our garden because it's comfortable. We know it. But he's asking us, he's calling us to expand the garden. To expand the realm of his glory. To expand the territory of God. But to him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's a glory that God has for his church there's a life there's a strength that God has for his church will we step into it Ben if you'll come on I don't know what time you guys normally get out of here so maybe it's good it's 1136 is it we're okay
But I do want to ask you this morning, are you people that are hungry for God to move again, to move greater, to move in strength? Because we can't without his presence. We can't. We can't fulfill the call without his presence. Will you be a people who tarry? Tarry at the altar, tarry in prayer, who tarry in the word, who wait upon the Lord and wait upon the Lord and wait upon the Lord. Or will you just give God a week? Will you hope for a week and quit? That's what I did. I had great hope for a week. As many times I look back on my high school years and I weep because what maybe could have happened but didn't. Oh, that we would never be people who look back and weep over what could have happened but people who look forward and weep because we see the lost souls that God is still calling home. And how do we know he's still calling his his souls home? Because we're still here. Because if they had all come home, then we would be going home. There's still souls to be won. There's still hearts to be mended. There's still the lost to be found. There's still disciples to be made. There's still weary. There's still the broken to be mended. And to them, Jesus says, come. Come. Is this a place where they will come? Is this a place where Jesus can call them? Is this still a place where Jesus can call them? Because I know when I was here, and I know your pastor, this is a little place where I came and my weary heart was mended and my wounded soul was healed. But the problem with that is because when you become wounded and healed, God says, go. God says, go. And you guys have seen that. You've seen God say, go. And you've seen people come in here. You've seen them get healthy. You've seen them get whole. You've seen them get right with God. You've seen them burn with a fire. And then you've heard God say, go. And you go, but that was my buddy. That was my friend. I love that person. God, that was my prayer partner. That was my phone line. That was my, that was my phone a friend. That was my helpmate. That was the person I called when it was rough. And I know I'm lingering here, but I, I feel the weight of this. I don't know if you feel the weight of this. I don't know why God called me to feel the weight of this. But I feel the weight of this to say, church, he's brought them in. He's healed them. And he sent them. Is it over? 
Or are we ready for another flood? Because I remember a flood. I remember in a little building and then a flood came. And there were so many people, it was like God was just doing something weird. He was doing what he wanted to do and he's sending a flood of people. And I look and I go, man, there's room for a flood. All right, pastor, I got to turn this over to you because this is a pastoring thing. (laughs) But I believe God would stir it in our hearts to have me come speak this morning because I believe God would want to say to this body, I'm not done with you. I want again to move in your midst in a mighty way. I want to expand the borders, the territory. Will we be a people? Amen. I won't take but just a moment, then we're going to pray together. For the first 10 or 15 years of our church, I had to be careful not to be filled with pride because of all the people. Lord was constantly reminding me that we were not the people who were coming and now he has to remind me we are not the people that have left the church is about where God is just that so Lord do it again I pray Start with this old man, I pray, oh God, do it again. Melt our hearts again. Call our hearts again. Bring us back from the dead, oh Lord, again. Fill our hearts and our mouths with joy and laughter again, Lord. Let the gospel reap great and immediate rewards again oh Lord let us reflect your image Jesus let us not be known by how many people we have but who has us I pray Lord church would you stand with me Jesus tarries we will either retire or retread and I believe the God that started the work in us individually and collectively will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ whatever it takes you to get back to his presence start the journey start the journey walk with me Lord correct me Lord remember from whence you've fallen for me I'm thinking of from high heights from pure heights from passionate heights from hope 
remember, repent, and redo. And the opposite is true. And I finish with this. If we didn't repent, he said he'd remove the candlestick. So what happens if we do? He turns it up. Turns it up. All eyes are on you, O oh Lord. Heal our hearts. Heal us of past hurts. Heal us of misunderstandings. Help us, Lord, to bend our knees and not stand up until something's been kindled deep within us. You said if we would humble ourselves in your sight, then you would lift us up. Let the heaviness of today, O oh Lord, turn into the joy of tomorrow, I pray. Wind of God, blow on us, I pray, O oh Lord. Let it happen for us, Lord. church family before we go home today you know what I saw in my heart while Wei was preaching I saw the angels at the garden of Eden with the flaming sword you know still today where no one can find it here in the earth and in the same way heaven was blocked off by the holy of holies but Christ rent the veil and the believer that comes in humility of heart with the name the angels with the flaming sword move out of the way and say commune with God how many of you received this in your heart today amen well in the presence of the Lord this morning I dismiss you work these things out with the Lord let's call upon his name and believe God that his plans for us individually and collectively will happen but only by his presence have a wonderful Lord's day God bless you this morning thank you brother so much this morning